0: Hello, I'm Jacob Kruger, and this is the Write Your Screenplay Podcast. As you know, on this podcast, rather than looking at movies in terms of two thumbs up, two thumbs down, loved it, or hated it, we look at movies in terms of what we can learn from them as screenwriters. We look at good movies, we look at bad movies, we look at movies that we love, and we look at movies that we hated. And today we're going to be talking about Mariel Heller's script, Diary of a Teenage Girl. And I'm excited to talk about this movie, not just because of the rave reviews it's been getting in the theaters, but also for the expert way that this writer handled tone in the adaptation of this script from novel to screenplay. Tone is one of those really challenging things for writers, particularly on a movie like this, which touches on some extremely controversial and taboo, and uncomfortable subjects. And in Lesser Hands, Diary of a Teenage Girl would not be the delightful but disturbing movie that we saw at the theater. In Lesser Hands, Diary of a Teenage Girl would be a lifetime movie, another tear-jerking melodrama about a child victimized by an unfair world. I want to talk about how to control tone in your writing. I want to talk about how to control tone in adaptation, whether you're adapting a novel like Phoebe Glockner's novel, which was the basis of this book, or a true life story from your own life. In fact, Diary of a Teenage Girl was inspired by Phoebe Glockner's experience as a child. I want to be talking about the tremendous power that we have over tone. Jerry Perzigian, who teaches our TV comedy writing class, has a saying that I I really adore. Uh, For those of you who know Jerry, Jerry was the showrunner on the Jeffersons, the Golden Girls, Married with Children. If it was a hit show in the 80s or 90s, he was probably on it. Jerry has this saying that I really love. He says, first write it true and then make it funny. And I think this is one of the greatest bits of wisdom that you can take when you're thinking about tone, is realizing that tone does not begin with trying to be funny or trying to be sad or trying to be dramatic or trying to be melodramatic or trying to make the audience cry or trying to do anything. Tone, in fact, is something that is layered on top of truth. So our first step as writers is about getting our own personal truth on the page. And in order to do that, sometimes we need to let go of our desire to control the tone. Sometimes we need to write the scene in our comedy that makes us cry or makes us disturbed or goes to that incredibly dark place that we don't want to go to. Sometimes we have to write the scene in our drama that gets experimental or playful or oddly inappropriately funny. In acting, there's actually a technique for this. If you've ever been in a play or in a film rehearsal, there's often a period where the performance starts to get really tight. Usually at the first reading, everything seems great. Actors haven't figured out the character yet, and they're just kind of playing. They're just having a good time, and everything is filled with energy and excitement and fun. They seem to be hitting the right notes because they're just kind of flying free and using their instincts. And then there comes a point where they have started to figure out the piece. There's a point during the rehearsal process where they've started to figure out the piece. They've started to figure out their character. They've started to figure out what's really going on, the structure of the character's arc, how things are changing, who the character really is, how to play them. And at that time, a strange thing happens. Oftentimes, the truth actually drops out. Oftentimes, the performance suddenly gets rigid or tight, suddenly feels less truthful, less compelling, less exciting than it felt early on before the actor had figured out anything. And oftentimes the reason for that is having figured out 90% of the character, but not that full 100%, 90% of the play, but not that full rather than focusing on their instincts, on their creative mind, on bringing themselves and their personal truth to the performance, the actor is suddenly now focusing on getting it right, doing it correctly, making sure that everything they do fits with all their other choices and with their intellectual conception of who the character is. This is a really normal thing in the rehearsal process and if you've ever been in that phase of rehearsal process with a good director you know what the director does what the director does is stops everything and says okay you know what do the musical theater version of this scene do the sci-fi version of this scene do the star trek version of this scene do the thriller version of this scene the film noir version of this scene and the reason the director does this is to get the actors playing again, to get the actors to forget the intellectual decisions they've made about who the character is, what the movie is, what the play is, what the, the structure is, who the character is, and to let go of their concept, their monotone concept of the tone of this character. The director will encourage them to make choices that cannot happen in the final product in order to explore the range of tone, in order to remind the actor that there is a whole world of possibilities out there, that they are not limited to the small conception of what has already worked, that in fact, they can paint with any color in the rainbow. And then, only then, after the actor has played and gotten loose and usually discovered something that they didn't know was there, then the director will bring them back to the real scene, the real piece. And an amazing thing often happens. Suddenly, the play opens up for the actor suddenly they're able to play that scene with that high energy they had at the beginning of the project, with that freedom not to have the tone define them, but for them to take that learning that they got by playing outside of the tone and start to shape it within the color palette, within the tonal palette of the piece that they're making. In fact, in Diary of a Teenage Girl, in her adaptation of the novel, Mariel Heller actually does a similar thing with Tone. She adjusts some of the darker aspects of the piece to fit with the feeling of her movie. And what's beautiful about the way that she does it is that she does it without losing any of the truth she does it without losing the truth of who this character is or what is happening to this character or the incredibly disturbing psychological ramifications sociological ramifications she does it without skirting around the foundational questions of the novel and yet in a way that feels consistent with what she's really building here in her screenplay. Now, I'm about to start getting specific about Diary of a Teenage Girl. So if you haven't seen this movie yet, you may want to pause this podcast and come back to it after you've seen the film because there are going to be spoilers ahead. So how does Mariel Heller control the tone of this movie? The first way she does it is by painting the character without judgment. It is easy when we are adapting, whether we're adapting a true story, a novel, a life event, even our own idea, it is really easy to get caught up in our anger at the injustice, at our own frustration, and oftentimes, when we do this, we end up writing the story of victims rather than the story of protagonists. If you've listened to my podcast about Tangerine, you understand already the importance of not bringing your own moral judgments into the world of the character. Instead of allowing your character's moral view of the world to define the moral view of the movie. And this is a very challenging thing as a writer because, look, as writers, we all have things we want to say, and it's very easy to get up on our soapbox and start preaching to the choir. But the true power of movies comes when we refuse ourselves that pulpit, we refuse ourselves that ability to step up onto that soapbox and tell our views through the words of our characters. Instead, simply visualize the movie as if we were inside the character's worldview, the character's morality, the character's world. If you're adapting from true life, sometimes this means letting go of your anger toward your husband, your wife, your ex, your child, your father, your mother, your grandfather, Sometimes it's about letting go of your anger towards those who are politically opposed to your viewpoints, those who have wronged you, so that you can step inside of their truth, their view of the world. Diary of a Teenage Girl is a movie about rape. And what's wonderful about Mariel Heller's script is she does not shy away from the fact that this is rape. We have a 15-year-old girl who is having sex with a 30-something-year-old man, who also happens to be dating her mother. This is about as messed up of a situation as you can see in a movie. But this movie is not painted in the bleak tones of a movie like Todd Salon's Happiness. It's painted in the bright, cheery tones of a coming-of-age story set against the 70s of a little girl figuring out who she is. And what's incredible about the script is that Heller manages to do this in a way that does not detract, does not gloss over the disturbingness of what is happening. In fact, one of the most effective scenes happens when she is on the sailboat and they're having sex, and the owner of the sailboat is just outside. And she's playing a little power game with him, a little flirtatious power game with him where she starts shouting, he's raping me. And this is a masterful use of tone. In a darker script, in a more melodramatic script, in a script that was designed to get the audience to cry or be upset or rise up or be disturbed or emote or feel anger towards the abuse, you might do that cliche scene of her starting teasing He's raping me and ultimately moving towards the point of heaving sorrow. But what this writer does is stays true to the worldview of the character, even while the character says those incredibly disturbing words. Even while the character voices the truth that she's not yet ready to tell herself. That she's not yet, at age 15, able to look at honestly. And this amazing choice allows you to at once recognize that this is indeed rape. That this is indeed wrong. Without losing your genuine connection with the main character. Without losing your genuine understanding of how she is also a driving force in her own life. What's wonderful about this movie, and we see this from the very start with that overly sexualized shot of her walk and her absolutely delighted announcement in voiceover, I had sex today. And that's really what we're watching. We're watching the truth of a 15-year-old girl who honestly doesn't have enough world experience to know that she's being used and manipulated, who is simply delighted that somebody wants her. If you've studied in our meditative writing class, this movie probably set off a bunch of light bulbs for you. Because the character's emotional need for love and the way that emotional need drives every single action that she takes is so incredibly clear. This little girl whose mother, Charlotte, played brilliantly by Kristen Wiig, is so coked up and drunk and filled with the vibe of the 70s, that she's completely absent for her daughter. This mother who, even at the moment where she's found out what's happened to her daughter, is blaming her daughter for the choices. This mother who, even at the moment where the daughter tries to talk to her about what her experience was, refuses to hear her daughter's feelings. This mother, who it's implied, may still actually be dating this guy after all this has happened. If this mother was only capable of being there for her, that need for love wouldn't be so strong. Similarly, her father, her psychoanalyst father, who knows exactly what is happening and even confronts the mother about it, cannot hear a single emotion that his daughter has. In fact, cuts her off in the middle of a sentence when he decides she's getting emotional. So we have a brilliant portrait here of how the nature of her family leaves this girl in an incredibly vulnerable position where she is desperate for love. So how do you write a movie where you have a main character who is desperate for love, you have a main character who quite honestly is a victim of her circumstances, a victim of her father. Her mother, her stepfather, her world. How do you write a story of a character like that without losing the drive of the story? Without ending up with a character who feels bandied about by events? How do you keep a character like that active when the whole movie is being driven by people around her? The horny stepdad who puts his hand on her breast that starts this whole thing. You do it by tapping into your inner truth as a writer, that part of you that desperately needs love. You do it by tapping into that emotional need in your character and allowing that emotional need to drive not the events that happen to your character but the choices that the character makes in relation to those events. That is what's so wonderful about this movie. Even though the events are happening to her, we can feel her making bigger and bigger choices. We can feel her seeking out the relationship. We can feel her joy at the relationship. We can feel the way that she is pushing this relationship to happen. From that very first seduction scene, where out for a beer with their stepfather, she tells him she wants him to fuck her, and literally puts her hand down his pants. Now, a better man would have at this point said, wow, there is definitely something going on. What's wrong, kid? But what's wonderful about the way that she drives that action is that even though she may be a victim, she doesn't feel like one. She's not somebody we have to feel sorry for. She's someone we can actually root for. The next thing that makes this structure so wonderful is the way that these choices she's making as she pursues her emotional need actually take her on a journey towards learning who she is, towards understanding her sexuality, her passion in life, what's okay with her and what's not okay with her, her strength as a human being, and her mother's and her stepfather's weakness. And that's where the effectiveness of this movie comes from. The truth of the matter is, once you have that kind of drive for your main character, once you have a character with an emotional need, in this case, love, And a tangible object in this case sex with her stepfather we will root for that character pretty much no matter what they're doing if that character continues to make strong choices even if those choices are messed up even if those choices are choices that we might judge even if those choices are choices that lead them to dark places eventually they are going to go on a journey that changes them forever similar to the way That you, as a writer, if you are willing to allow yourself to make choice after choice after choice, to make big choices in your movie, driven not by your intellectual concepts, but by the emotional needs that make this movie worth writing, by the real stuff going on in you, whether it fits or not, Following your instincts, even if, like the main character in A Diary of a Teenage Girl, you may lack some of the experience to know where those choices are going to take you. When you allow yourself to make those big choices, when you allow your character to make those big choices, you give yourself a structure That you can then paint with any tone you want. You can make it playful. You can make it dark. You can make it a thriller. You can make it a noir. You can rewrite that truth and shape it into any form you want. Because that work is just craft. The real work of being a writer is not about tone. The real work of being a writer is about voice. That is the final piece that I'd like to talk about in this movie because we're not just watching a girl's coming-of-age story in relation to sex. We're also watching a little girl's coming-of-age story in relation to being an artist. As we see at the beginning of the movie, she has found a great artist, and she is emulating her. And slowly, as the movie progresses, the animation starts to change it stops being driven by somebody else's truth and by the imitation of another great artist and starts being driven by her own personal truth her own personal voice the artistic choices not that somebody else has made but that only she could make And this is the real journey of being an artist. And this is the real journey of being a writer. Learning to find that creative voice and trust it without judgment. Not because judgment doesn't exist and not because you don't have a moral compass and not because there isn't something that you need to say. but because the journey of being a writer is about allowing yourself to discover your own voice and your own structure and then arming yourself with the craft you need to shape it into any form you'd like. If you'd like to learn more about this kind of organic approach to structure based on your own emotional needs and your own creative voice as a writer. I invite you to check out my website, writeyourscreenplay.com. We offer classes in New York City, live online, and even a unique one-on-one pro track program which pairs you with a professional writer who will mentor you through every aspect of writing your script. Thank you for joining me for this podcast and happy writing.